Hello, and welcome to Worldly on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here with my co-hosts, Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. What's up? I'm really happy to be back with you all after my wedding. Yes! Woo! Because there's a lot of news we have to work through together. On Wednesday, the day after the American midterm elections, President Trump more or less fired Attorney General Jeff Sessions. On today's show, we're going to tackle this news from an international perspective. Uh, We're going to start by talking about what the Attorney General switch-up means for the Russia investigation and close out with a brief chat about the midterm's implications for one of America's wars, the war in Yemen. So, Jen, let's start from the top here. Give people a brief rundown on the Mueller investigation. So Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation is looking into the Trump campaign's possible collusion with Russia in their interference campaign in the 2016 election. And if that did happen, that would be the biggest election scandal in basically American history. So let's talk about Jeff Sessions' role in all of this. Sure. So the reason Mueller has the job that he has is because Trump fired former FBI Director James Comey in May 2017. And at that point, that led to this whole notion of like, wait, is Trump trying to kind of obstruct this collusion investigation? And so— Right, because Comey was in charge of that investigation at the time. Exactly right. And Trump went on national TV and said it was because of the Russian investigation. Right. To be clear. Right, which he now kind of takes back, but like, he said it, so it counts. (laughs) And so— As this goes to the Justice Department, then Sessions should have been the guy to oversee uh, the Russian investigation after it went to Mueller, right? But the problem here, of course, is that Sessions got actually caught up with the whole Russia stuff. So what that means is Jeff Sessions should be overseeing the Mueller investigation. But it turns out that because he was part of the Trump campaign uh, and had some meetings with Russian officials as part of that— he had to recuse himself, right? Well, and it's more specific, right? Because during his confirmation hearings, he didn't exactly tell the full truth about his contacts with the Russians. Right, so exactly. That, so controversy around that is what forced his recusal. So he recuses himself. And that means that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein has been overseeing the Mueller probe this whole time. And by overseeing, I mean that Robert Mueller has to basically go to Rod Rosenstein every time he wants to do pretty much anything in the investigation. If he needs to subpoena someone, if he needs to send an indictment to the grand jury, if he needs to get warrants to go investigate somebody's office or apartment or whatever, or or get files, Rod Rosenstein has to sign off on every one of those steps that Mueller takes. Which means Rod Rosenstein has a lot of power and authority over the shape of this investigation, right? The shape of the entire Russia investigation essentially depends on Rod Rosenstein being willing to sign off on all of these things. And, and this is the crucial point, right? Because Trump's in, in Trump's worldview, he thinks and has said repeatedly that the job of the Justice Department and the FBI is essentially to serve the president, which is not historically accurate. They actually do oversight over the president and the executive branch. So he thinks his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, or his former attorney general now, should have been running interference with the Russia probe. And he said this repeatedly publicly, that he is furious that Sessions recused himself and and he shouldn't have done that. And at one point in the Oval Office, he screamed at Sessions and appears to have waged a months-long campaign to embarrass him in public and eventually force him to resign. He called him Mr. Magoo. Right. I, I mean, don't remember that, actually. Yes, he called Trump him called him Mr. Magoo. Wow. He's, he's publicly tweeted saying, like, oh, I don't know, this attorney general, maybe if he were doing, you know, better things, and I don't know about this guy, maybe I shouldn't have hired him. Like, he's openly talked shit about Sessions 
for yeah, months. Yeah, he called his work disgraceful, that, like, he lied to the president, like, all this stuff. I mean, this is open bashing of, like, a major cabinet member. Right. And yet, and yet he didn't fire Sessions right. until the midterms. And this seems to be the key point here is that it's happening right now, literally the day after the elections happened, less than 24 hours, in fact. Right. So why now? Well, so part of it actually was a lot of people in Trump's inner circle told him, if you want to do this, do not do it before the midterms because there could be a political backlash. Some people, especially Democrats, might feel, oh, he's trying to obstruct the Mueller probe. Some Republicans may go, oh, man, he is kind of power hungry. And so apparently, even as votes were being counted on Tuesday, he was telling people around him, like, I just want to do it, man. Like, let me fire him. Like, he was, he was, he had an itch he couldn't scratch. Like, I, I got to do it. I got to do it. And then finally, he does it. Like, he's, he's free to do it. And who's going to tell him no? And I think it's important to talk about why Democrats and people would have been concerned that this could have been obstruction, right? Because the point is, Sessions recused himself, meaning that Rod Rosenstein was the guy overseeing the probe. But now that Sessions is out, the person who takes his place, not Rod Rosenstein, will be the one now overseeing the Mueller probe, right? They take that role over, which means that if Trump appoints someone who is a political crony or someone who is very favorable to Trump and could impede the Russia investigation in this position, that would be essentially obstructing the probe. So he couldn't do that before because people in, you know, Republicans and Democrats were saying, look, you, you can't do this. It will look really bad. But then the midterms happened. There's this kind of obvious shakeup that usually happens in administrations just kind of naturally. There's staffing changes after the midterms, bring in new cabinet members, new press secretaries, things like that. So there was kind of like a natural excuse to get rid of Sessions. And then at the same time, you have a more favorable Senate coming in because you have more Republicans in the Senate. And so there's a kind of an opportunity that, well, now maybe I could get away with it in a way that I couldn't before the midterms. Now, Trump hasn't picked who he wants the new attorney general to be. He's appointed an acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, who was Jeff Sessions's chief of staff prior to this. Now, Whitaker is a Republican operative and, and lawyer with a long paper trail on the Mueller investigation. So he now takes over Rosenstein's job as supervisor, at least as long as he remains the acting attorney general. So unless and until Trump appoints someone officially to this job. That's really bad news for the investigation because, like you said, Zach, Whitaker really does not like the Mueller probe and has a lot of feelings and thoughts that he has said publicly on cable news. Whitaker literally tweeted out at one point an article that says, worth a read, quote, note to Trump's lawyer, do not cooperate with Mueller lynch mob. And that's the guy now overseeing the Mueller probe. Right. He's explicitly warned against investigations into Trump family finances. He has suggested that the probe has already gone too far. So this guy could do a lot of things to obstruct the probe right now, now that he has taken over from Rosenstein, up to and including firing Bob Mueller. Yeah. And, and let's be clear that Mueller's mandate, which was given to him by Rosenstein, was basically, you know, look into Trump-Russia collusion and then almost verbatim anything else that comes up that could be criminal. So even though Whitaker is saying like, oh, you're going really deep, you're going way too far, like Mueller is entitled to do that. That is literally what he was asked to do. Um, now, as for what Whitaker could do to stifle this investigation, he could basically not 
agree to anything Mueller wants to do, right? As Jen mentioned earlier, Rosenstein had to approve everything. So Whitaker could say, nah, bro, and nothing happens. Right, or like, no, I think that one goes a little too far. I don't want you to dig into, you know, for example, stuff like Paul Manafort that came out, right? That was unrelated, but that they found out he could literally go, no, that's outside the scope of the parameters of what you're set out to do. I say no. Exactly. He could try to lower funding for Mueller's probe, which basically starves it from the inside. He's suggested doing that. I mean, he suggested doing that. So I think this... Now, I will say I'm a little skeptical because even if he does all these things, whoever ends up being the permanent attorney general, and it can't be Whitaker, may reverse a lot of these Can things. Can or can't be can't Whitaker? Be, okay. Can't be Whitaker. For? Uh, because he is not a Senate-confirmed member of this administration, and the only way you can be an acting in this administration and then be permanent is if you had already been Senate-confirmed. Got it. So the point is that Whitaker could do some things to mess with the probe, at least temporarily. And I want to talk about the big picture of that, right? Like why this should be more troubling than it is, because a lot of the conversation around this is, oh, we all expected Trump to fire Jeff Sessions. This right. was, everybody knew this was coming. And, and that's true, right? It's not wrong. But at the same time, the president explicitly dismissing a cabinet member because he wanted a crony to interfere with an investigation into potential misconduct by him. Like that That's really troubling. That's not the sort of thing that should happen in an advanced democracy. Right. That is a direct threat to the entire principle of rule of law, right? Like, this country was set up to make sure that we didn't have a king or queen who is above the law, right? Who can just rule as they wish and do whatever the hell they want. There's supposed to be checks and balances. If you have a law enforcement investigation into possible misconduct by the president and the president takes moves to— actively interfere and potentially try to shut down that investigation, that essentially, in many ways, puts the president above the law. Well, this kind of like legalistic interference with the operations of justice and oversight is really common in countries where you've seen the quality of democracy start to degrade, right? The president staffs oversight institutions with people who are really loyal. He, it's always he, he uses tricks to mess with the way that these things are supposed to work, including, like, debatable interpretations of legal powers. These are all things that you've seen in the Trump administration. And getting rid of Sessions and appointing somebody like Whitaker as his temporary replacement, that's a really troubling escalation on top of this pattern. Yeah, and on top of that, it should be noted that Whitaker almost lobbied for this job, right? Even though he was Sessions' right-hand man, he was not a Sessions loyalist, right? Sessions brought some people from the Senate with him. Whitaker was not one of them. He also, when Trump wanted to talk to the Justice Department, he chose to talk to Whitaker, not Sessions, because he didn't like talking to Sessions. My one step back here is I get why there's concern, but I'm not into the freakout stage yet because, again, what Whitaker does could be reversed by who the next attorney general is. Trump, even though we all worry he's trying to shut this down, does repeatedly say, like, he said it like yesterday, I could shut this down, I could fire everybody, but I'm not going to because I think it's good. And then Well, he, he said because it's bad for him politically. Sorry, sorry, correct. He doesn't think it's, it's awesome. Right. Yeah, he thinks it's a very bad No, right, but, like, he's given real no public indication that he wants to shut this down massively. I know behind the scenes he's railed against it, but, like, let's give Whitaker maybe a week to see if he's actually interfering with anything, and then whoever the new attorney general ends up being, like, this could just continue. Right. And as we've seen Trump disregard a lot of the traditional guardrails of presidential power, the American people literally just voted in a new check on Trump's power. If Mueller is fired, House Democrats can still do things, right? Like the Senate and the House still do have oversight functions over the executive as well. So House Democrats could subpoena FBI agents or 
prosecutors on his team about the investigation. So information could still come out even if Mueller were fired, which is why midterm elections matter, because the House Democrats now control the committees that are in charge of overseeing things like this. So it's really important. I guess it basically ends up being what happens and do the bodies that are entrusted with overseeing the president do their fucking jobs. After the break, we're going to talk about another way in which the new House Democratic majority could put a check on the president's powers as it relates to the fighting in Yemen. Think of all the things you work hard to provide your family, your home, a college education, your entire lifestyle. But how do you make sure that all of those things are still possible, even if something unexpectedly happens to you? Life insurance used to be a pain. You have to deal with an agent who came across like a used car salesman. It's like, you know, scheduling a blood test at a doctor's office and reading over a bunch of paperwork with fine print and legalese that nobody can understand, including the used car salesman. Now with Ethos, the application only takes 10 minutes online. They have honest, upfront pricing, and there's no doctor's appointment for policies under $1 million. So get your free quote and submit your complete application in just 10 minutes now at worldly.getethos.com. One more time, that's worldly.getethos.com. Hey, I'm here with Dylan Matthews, who's one of my real-life best friends, and he's here launching a podcast that I'm really excited about. So Dylan is the head of our new Vertical on Effective Altruism, which is about coming up with interesting and smart ways to make the world a better place. And that's what the podcast covers, right? Yeah, it's called Future Perfect. And I think if you listen to Worldly, you're probably interested in sort of big global problems and clever ways to solve them. So we have this really interesting episode on open borders, which I know you guys have talked a lot about on Worldly. But really digging into the details, what it would do to get rid of immigration law, what kind of backlash it would face. And every one of our episodes is a big thought experiment like that. And if that sounds like something you'd be into, you should listen to Future Perfect every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. The new Democratic majority in the House of Representatives has a big say in the way America fights its wars. Congress has a lot of power over military spending and the ability to investigate what the U.S. is doing with its weapons. So the U.S. is currently involved in a lot of overseas fighting, but based on our reporting, we think that the one that's most likely to be affected by the change in power in the House is the war in Yemen. Alex, why don't you run down what the U.S. role is there and and what the conflict is like overall? Sure. So we got involved in 2015 to help the Saudi-led coalition fight Houthi rebels in Yemen. The main support that we give is through intelligence and air refueling. So that means when a Saudi plane wants to go bomb something, we sometimes help put gas in the plane. And then we also help the Saudis target or find where they need to drop those bombs. Should note that a lot of those bombs are also sold to them by the United States. And so that's kind of been our support. Mattis would say, look, we only refuel about 20%, but like that's still support. Secretary of Defense James Mattis. Right. And so that has been an incredibly unpopular war. It's Again, it started in the Obama administration. It was a bit unpopular then, but there had never really been much congressional resistance to it until now, and especially uh, since the Khashoggi murder, and especially now that the Democrats are in charge of the House. Right. So let's just stop for a second and talk about why there's resistance to the war in Yemen and what's going on. Like you said, the U.S. military is helping the Saudis with their bombing campaign. 
Those bombs keep hitting things like school buses full of children, open markets where civilians are, houses of worship, funerals, farms, bridges, all of the things that legally under the laws of war are war crimes. You can't fucking do that because that's horrific. And the Saudis keep doing that. And so there's this big kind of groundswell in international human rights communities. And now we're seeing some movement in Congress and in some other governments like the UK that also support the Saudi effort to say, wait a second, wait a second. The Saudis are committing horrific war crimes here. We need to maybe rethink our support for this war. And then the murder of the Saudi dissident journalist Jamal Khashoggi by highest levels of the Saudi regime brought this kind of back into focus again with people going, wait a second, why are we supporting this kind of brutal regime in this way, you know, in the war in Yemen and in other ways? So that's kind of why this has gotten more attention lately. And now we have this new House Democratic oversight that's just got elected into office. Yeah, look, I want to be clear. This isn't just a Trump thing, right? This started under President Obama, and there was minimal Democratic resistance at the time. There were some Democrats who said you shouldn't do this, but on the whole, there wasn't much of an effort to constrain the Obama administration's essentially complicity in war crimes. I I think that's a fair term for what being on the Saudi side in this war is. I think Senator Chris Murphy has actually been pretty good, Yeah, I will say. He's been big on that. So is Senator Rand Paul on the Republican side. Mike Lee, Bernie Sanders, those guys. Yeah, there are people in both caucuses who have been outspoken about this. It's just there was never a meaningful effort to impose costs on the administration one that, that had a chance of succeeding until recently. And now that you have this sort of perfect storm of Democrats wanting to stop Trump from doing stuff and the Khashoggi murder galvanizing energy surrounding Saudi Arabia and its sort of nefarious influence on the Middle East, there's real opportunity for Democrats to use this power to change things. Okay, but how? Like, what what could change? What could they actually do in practice? Alex, I know you talked to some people actually— in the House Democrats. Yep, I talked to House Democrats. Uh, They are people who are in the House and Democrats. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) What they want to do on Yemen specifically, there there are some kind of outlandish proposals. Outlandish proposal number one is to basically have Secretary Mattis and uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman Joe Dunford come to the House and do like a three-day-long hearing, not just on Yemen, but about all of America's wars and to justify every dollar spent. Every, you know, wh- why is every troop there? Why are we not spending it on infrastructure here at home? This I is- love this idea. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily want to say this is outlandish. It is outlandish. It's outlandish in the sense that it would, you know, take a lot of time. But personally, having, you know, Congress have oversight of the dollars that we're spending in the places we're bombing and sending troops, I find that a reasonable proposal. Yeah, that's, Three days is not that That's long. how the system is supposed to work. Right. It's, anyway. yeah, it's anyway. outlandish because Mattis won't do it. The administration would push back, right? That's why it's outlandish. Gotcha. Go uh, on. And this is coming from a so-called foreign policy populist wing, which is actually a bit of the progressive left and kind of the anti-war right. Uh, and there's, they're both sort of anti-war. So what anyway. else could they do that's maybe a little more, more practical? Yes, the more practical parts here would be to basically stop any funding for refueling Saudi planes, for taking troops out that help with the targeting or at even passing some sort of authorization saying that Trump has to ask Congress for an, a war authorization to help in this war. And it also seems like there's legislation coming even as soon as this month that would basically ask Trump for some sort of authorization or be a massive congressional rebuke to the administration's help of the Saudi war. And there's also kind of one other thing, which is the U.S. and Saudi are working on a whole bunch of uh, arms deals right. and, and nuclear technology 
and it's possible and there is some movement to block at least some of those arms sales or even the sale of a sort of a nuclear reactor to Saudi Arabia. Right. And here's why I have a little bit of optimism, um, which is rare for me, especially when it comes to the U.S. support for the war in Yemen. It does seem like Trump has maybe started to shift his kind of view on this, especially after the Khashoggi murder and the fairly recent Saudi bombing of a school bus full of children that got a lot of attention. And we've seen Trump kind of respond to these kind of horrific attacks like we saw in Syria with the chemical weapons attack on children and civilians. Trump was seemed viscerally kind of moved by that. And it seems like on Yemen specifically and on Saudi bombing, Trump seems to be maybe moving towards changing his thinking on that as well. Right. So in his recent interview with Axios, he suggested that the war in Yemen is a bad thing. What's going on in Yemen generally is a terrible thing, and we're going to see, and we're looking at Yemen very carefully right now. So if that's not just bluster, there actually could be some bipartisan progress on ending American involvement in in a truly horrific war. Of course, that's a big if. We don't see a lot of bipartisan cooperation, and the president is uh, notoriously changeable when it comes to his policy preferences and especially averse to cooperating with Democrats. So there could be a good faith bipartisan process. There also might not be. As the president likes to say, we'll see what'll happen. That's it for us today. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, for all of her help in setting this up. And I want to encourage you to rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever else you get your podcasts, we're there. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.